0: time for us to begin our midday program here on krvn on this columbus day if you got the day off you are uh, lucky lucky congratulations the rest of us out there uh, working well i mean it's we're on radio so really but all you farmers and producers out there thank you for all the work that you're doing we want to talk about what we're going to be talking about in the next couple hours here on the round table and uh, we've got Jason Jorgensen in here, Bob Brogan's in here, and let's uh, hear from Susan Littlefield. we we'll find out about FARM.
1: Well, thanks, Scott. Here's what's coming up on a midday from the FARM team at 1219. I'll be speaking with Jenny Ift. She's with Kansas State University. We talk about more opportunities for financing in agriculture. And at twelve forty five Chabella will talk about the father of Pivots with a great interview, and Alex will set to wrap everything up at one seventeen that's a midday from the farm team.,
0: All right, thank you so much, Susan. I appreciate it to turn it over to Jason Jorgensen, one of the one of the great drivers of the big red machine passed away today yeah Joe
2: Morgan uh, passed away this weekend at the age of uh Seventy-seven. What a player! One of the few uh, first, uh, second baseman to hit for power. Yeah. Then of course he had a second career as a long stint as the color guy on ESPN's Sunday Night Baseball.
0: He he was very good at that. He was a very good in studio presence too. Had a had just seemed to really know the game and and kind of changed. You're right. Changed second base.
2: Real ambassador of the game of baseball. So he passed away at seventy-seven. It's been a tough year for a lot of reasons but a tough year to be a hall of famer yeah
0: yeah whitey earlier, ford just earlier this week too so yeah that's the way it goes but anyway so uh did you get a chance to see Dak prescott's injury that was uh yeah that, was, that uh, rough. wasn't good either when your
2: foot's pointed the other way uh <laughs> they won't put any tape on that he won't be able to walk that way. No, so a- he's done for the rest of the year also, we kind of figured this was the case, but they came out with it a couple of hours ago, uh, the Nebraska-Iowa game. Cross your fingers, is played. There's there's a lot of ground to get over yeah. before <laughs> then, but uh, it it is scheduled to be played on the day after Thanksgiving on the 27th. Of course, it'll be televised uh, by Fox or Fox Sports 1. Uh, that'll be good to have that then. It would sure. be even better if Nebraska were to show up and play better and win. Well. <laughs> <laughs> we you can't know. have
0: can't have everything. <laughs> everything. I mean, uh, a rivalry
2: is only a rivalry of, you know each team wins once in a while. So far, that's. Pretty much all hawks for a while.
0: Mm, yeah, sure has. Also, uh, speaking
2: yeah. of uh, bad news for Kansas State, uh, senior quarterback Skylar Thompson, uh, Coach Clement announced today he's out for the year. Oh. Th- that's a bummer for the Wildcats, who, after stumbling in week one, have looked pretty good the last three times yeah, out.
0: absolutely have. All right, thank you, Jason. I appreciate that. Let's turn it over to Bob Rogan. Stocks are up right now, Bob. Stocks,
3: stocks are up a little bit as uh, investors are getting ready for quarterly earnings reports from U.S. companies, so there's some optimism there. A company by the name of Twilio, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right, is buying customer data startup segment in a stock deal valued at about $3.2 billion. And the final three months of the year are usually a boom time for many small businesses, thanks to holiday shopping and celebrations. But uh, the fourth quarter of this year looks a little bit precarious as the coronavirus outbreak uh, still has its grip on the economy. More stories like that coming up. Twilio, is that what you're going with on that? Twilio. All
0: right, good. I like that. That'll work for me. <laughs> Let's turn it over to Clay Patton for more. All right, Clay Patton on the Rural
4: Radio Network. Let's take a check in with Mike Zuzlo of Global Commodity Analytics for a midday check on the markets. And, Mike, what goes up must come down. out well, of a contrast from last Friday when we were talking following the WASDE report, but our leader to the downside today, a 2% loss so far, is soybeans. Are we seeing some liquidation of those heavy longs?
5: Yeah, I think so, Clay. I think it makes sense, too, with the 2.5% losses now on both meal and soybeans. They're kind of feeding off each other. Probably the biggest factors being South American weather doesn't look as dry, and this is probably where the soybeans and the wheat differ quite a bit in terms of the U.S. hard red wheat belt still looking very, very dry. Um, Momentum and sentiment indicators, I would say, weren't very supportive for the bulls on Friday's close Uh, when it came to how the soybeans closed after that really strong uh, report when the USDA confirmed the tightest U.S. and global soybean crop numbers in five-plus years as far as ending stocks and stocks to use ratios and so with the columbus day holiday today i think those momentum and sentiment indicators mean a lot more the technicals have taken over and in other words if you ask me and probably the biggest factor i think that's really motivated the longs to get out not so much the commitment of traders report but maybe the key currencies are shifting the chinese currency is weaker It's actually just made a new weekly low. Uh, Also, the Brazilian real is strengthening. It's uh, against the U.S. dollar especially. It's starting to try and test some uh, weekly highs at this point from last week. So these two currencies have been a big player and and part of the reason why the soybeans have been bought by the funds.
4: Now, we see soybeans obviously as a leader to the downside, yet wheat in Minneapolis right now has been able to break through this broader pressure we see in the commodities, and it's back to the green. Is this coming from the fact we see continued dry conditions in Russia or the fact that Ukraine's backing off on its exports?
5: Well, it's interesting. That I think the Russian issue and the Ukrainian issue are both key factors, but not sure why that would help the spring wheat, because both of those are winter wheat. So I, my guess is... Is that this is intercommodity spreading that the spring wheat's being bought or reowned after being sold off against the hard red and against the soft red wheat, and so that's why I think the wheat market's pretty tame for the most part. We're still holding that 520, 525 level uh, support in hard red wheat, and we're only down a couple cents in the soft red right now. I think the key going into the close, especially with us getting back online with fundamental exports and and, uh, crop conditions and also harvest progress numbers tomorrow, is the idea of whether the wheat and the corn can join up together and help support the beans. And then that, I think, would help allow the soybeans to trade more friendly fundamentals. That is obviously a key, as we also watch the technicals and that 1040 support in lead month beans.
4: In the livestock, uh, we see lower soybeans, so it's that pork and bean trade again, more pressure on the lean hogs. How much of a market fundamental is it right now that China found that new case of African swine fever in those piglets?
5: I think it's a big issue, and I think this is where it goes back to can USDA's 100 million tons of of total soy imports for the 2021 marketing really actually happen. I think this is where, sticking with livestock, you're right, the pork and bean trade working in reverse today. We've also seen the fat cattle give way. I think the feeder cattle lost it technically last week. The the fat cattle are probably going to have to be tested now on the support leg and test the bull's resolve here early in the week.
4: Again, we're talking with Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics. If you'd like Mike's in-depth and personal analysis and seeing how it can benefit the risk management on your farm or ranch, visit globalcomresearch.com. That's globalcomresearch.com. When you talk to Mike and you tell him, hey, I heard about you on the Rural Radio Network, talking with Clay every day, he's going to set you up with a two-week free trial of his newsletter and in-depth analysis, again, where he goes in deep and does in-depth research. Again, globalcomresearch.com. But do remember, trading future and options involve risk of loss may not be suitable for all investors.
0: Well, it's time for us to take a look at our weather and how it's affecting agriculture for us and around the world. We got Paul Perkins in here, and uh, well, we're Temperature's down a little bit, but I did, I mentioned uh, earlier that I did feel something uh, coming out of the sky that was in liquid form
6: uh, (laughs) last night, at least for a little bit. Exactly, yeah, it didn't last a whole long Mm -hmm. time. A lot of it was uh, very horizontal, as we were talking earlier, and Probably didn't make it into, I know my rain gauge didn't show yeah, anything, right. but you know, I saw it raining and saw it on the windows and everything. But those winds last night, very high, uh, gusting up to about 70 miles per hour over portions of southwest Nebraska and uh, causing some uh, limited visibility due to the dust. And hopefully, there's nothing too much in the way of crop damage since the corn at a very vulnerable stage right yeah. now. Uh, with those winds gusting up to nearly seventy miles per hour over southwest Nebraska, as far as rainfall amounts that we did see, most locations only saw about a trace to a tenth of an inch if we did see some rain, there was a report of up to nearly sixty hundreds of rain in eastern Nebraska towards valley uh, towards the Omaha area, but otherwise, but they 've actually been very dry, so uh, they uh, were probably definitely rejoicing at that one
0: it's, it's just, it just shows you a lot about the year when sixty hundreds makes news
6: exactly yeah, Mm -hmm. a lot of it did go around most of the area last night. Uh, Temperatures right now mostly in the mid-50s to around 60 in Nebraska, more so in the low 60s over northeast Colorado into northern Kansas. Dry air and westerly downslope winds today will allow our temperatures to rise into the 70s with some plenty of sunshine, but strong high pressure building in from the west will lead to some breezy winds and increase that fire danger over the central and west. Right now, central and western Nebraska and north Northwest Kansas and Northeast Colorado into red flag warning for high fire danger this afternoon and early evening. Tomorrow will be like today temperature wise, but winds should become lighter and more variable when High pressure moves overhead. Ahead of another cold front, Wednesday will be our warmest day of the next seven days with highs in the mid-70s to the low 80s. Current indications are that front will move through Wednesday afternoon leading to, once again, very windy conditions and possibly some falling temperatures. A few showers are possible, but the overall... Consensus favors dry passage of that cold front. Some areas could see patchy frost as soon as Wednesday night. So start paying attention to this. Most locations expected to see temperatures dip near or below freezing by Friday morning. Make sure you uh, unattach those or detach those garden hoses Mm, out there. That's a very good point. Yeah. Temperatures rebound a bit for Friday and Saturday, but another cool down. On the way for Sunday and Monday, leaning to a chance of a hard freeze by next Monday morning. We are definitely headed towards an extended period of cooler weather. In the latest long-term forecast, below-normal temperatures are now likely this weekend through October 25th through Nebraska, Kansas, and the central U.S. During that time in central Nebraska, daytime highs are usually in the low to mid-60s with average overnight lows in the mid to upper 30s. Near-normal to slightly below-normal precipitation expected in Nebraska and Kansas This weekend through the 25th. Key weather factors impacting market trade include a more promising rain chance in soybean areas of Brazil and varied rain chances in wheat regions of the northern hemisphere. For the Southern Plains, very dry weather along with very warm to hot temperatures and strong winds have been very stressful for winter wheat in the early development and pre-dormancy stages. The Southern Plains expected to stay dry through this next week. Russian wheat areas expect light rain over the next week. Any rain will offer minimal improvement in the establishment of their winter wheat. In the northern plains, strong winds and Gust approaching 60 over the weekend may have caused some crop damage. The Midwest will see some disruption to the row crop harvest due to thunderstorms that moved through the western and northern Midwest last night and today. Other crop areas, though, in the Midwest are drier with limited interruption to the harvest. With drier and cooler air the rest of the week, conditions for harvest in the Midwest and northern plains will remain generally favorable. Central Brazil crop areas have been proof rain chances this next week. Coverage of moderate rain amounts predicted for most primary soybean crop areas. The higher rain chance central Brazil is likely to encourage active soybean planting. I
0: noticed, uh, I think it was, well, it was yesterday afternoon, uh, just to the west of Elm Creek, there was an a, a irrigation pivot system that had been flipped over. So I, we haven't heard reports of, down corn right now, but uh, boy, that that's what you worry about this time of year.
6: Exactly, yeah, and I would not doubt if we probably start hearing some of those reports later today and maybe get an idea by tomorrow.
0: Okay, all right, very good. Thank you, Paul, I appreciate it. Where do you go to check in on your weather?
6: Weather page, com.
1: Producers have options when it comes to financing their operation. And according to one K-State professor, non-traditional is starting to pick up the pace. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. I spoke with Jenny Ift. She is an associate professor and extension specialist in agricultural policy at Kansas State University. She talked about what percentage right now is the non-traditional
7: financing. I think non-traditional... Um, lending could be as high as 20% because some of the information is privately held. We're not exactly sure.
1: Is it risky though to look at non traditional versus your, your local bank down the street?
7: <laughs> not necessarily. Um, I think it depends on the type of product that's offered, what type of collateral you have to put up, what position the farm is in. Um, it's really because, again, because I'm defining non traditional so broadly. Um, it doesn't really depend necessarily on the lender. It depends on the, the the position the farm is in and whether or not they understand the risk and the cost of whatever product they're using.
1: So another question that came out of yeah. on Twitter to me was, looking at the political world that we're in right now,
8: mm-hmm.
1: um, they've had conversations with, with their bankers mm-hmm. and, and talking finances moving into 2021. And so many of them have said, can we wait till after the election? Yes. Can we wait till after? <laughs> Do yeah. you see that? Or is it just agriculture that's being affected by those thoughts and feelings
7: um well i mean broadly speaking what party is in control is going to have influence on what kind of fiscal packages we have not so much monetary policy it's not supposed to affect monetary policy but definitely fiscal policy so it's probably true for the economy as a whole maybe it's more true for farm policy um you know, we've always, I, th- I think a lot of our traditional commodity programs, crop insurance, has really held on through Democrat and Republican administrations. Um, so there's one story, you know, we've been talking about is farm policy going to change for a long time now? And it hasn't changed that much. So, so that's sort of, you know, one side um, that says, okay, maybe, maybe things will just stay the course because that's what, you know, we've been talking about for this long time. The other side is you have this partnership between food policy and farm policy. And how long is that going to hold up? Um, and I think, that's a, I think you have to look at that, too. Because once that, would, if that would go away, you could have, you know, if a Democratic administration and you look at the, the platforms of the primary, you could see that a lot of them have a very different vision for foreign policy than our traditional commodity programs. So I think it's an important conversation to have.
1: Finally, one of my favorite slides that you had up today have talked about the many factors that are driving the growth. Mm-hmm. And, and the sources for credit for agriculture. Yes. It kind of gives a broad picture yeah. as to what's out there for the producer. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about that.
7: Right, right. So when I was talking about why do we see more competitors in agricultural finance, um, well, my first point was there's a lot of outside capital, um, and I think this is fairly well understood in the industry. You have a lot of venture capital. Agriculture is, agriculture is seen as relatively safe, which might be funny to us in agriculture because we deal with so much risk, with weather, with markets and everything. But it still is seen as a, a relatively safe investment or at least an opportunity to diversify. Um, so yeah, you see a lot of venture capital coming in on the retail side, on the lending side, into farmland markets. It's, it's really everywhere. Um, so that was that point. My second point was innovation. Um, you know, there's a, we have a lot more data available. Data sharing is easier. So that's part of the story. Um, other parts of it's just it's just competition, right? People innovate when there's a lot of competition. So they're finding different ways to, to provide loans and service loans.
1: That's my conversation with Jenny Ift. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network.
9: It is time for Midday sports. on Jason Jorgensen is stepping in. Well, we found some uh, news out that I, I su- suppose is not surprising as far as uh, college football goes.
2: No, but in this day and age, uh, hey, take every day as they come. Big Ten Conference announced today that Nebraska's matchup with Iowa will be played on Friday, November 27th in Iowa City. Kickoff time will be announced at a later date, and the game will be televised by Fox or FS1. Of course, we'll bring you the game on KRVN. Big Ten West rivals have met on Black Friday every year since the Huskers joined the league, and this year's matchup will mark the 10th straight season Nebraska and Iowa have squared off for the day after Thanksgiving.
9: So, Ten years. It does not seem like it's been that long. It?
2: Uh, it seems like it's been about that long since Nebraska's beat Iowa, too. Not that it's been <laughs> quite that long, but this is a series that has been owned by the Hus. One-sided. Yeah, yep. a little bit. K-State's been riding a hot streak of late, winning their first three games in the Big 12. but they got some bad news uh, today. This was kind of expected. Head coach Chris Kleiman announced that senior quarterback Skylar Thompson is out for the rest of the mm-hmm. year. But even without him, they plugged in the freshman on Saturday and went down a real nice victory, knocking off TCU 21-14. It's a good win. Uh, they won with defense. They might have to do that uh, going forward. That's a, that's a bad break for the Wildcats.
9: Did I see last week? Maybe it was two weeks ago. Uh, Coach Climbing got an extension yeah, he did. one year, two so, year
2: extension. Yeah, he has proved to be the uh, so the, far so good. Yeah, uh, and then some. Some sad news. Hall of Fame. Second baseman Joe Morgan, a key member of the Reds-famed Big Red Machine, died over the weekend. He was 77. He had struggled with health issues in recent years. He was the two-time National League Most Valuable Player, a ten-time All-Star, five-time Gold Glove Award winner. Uh, he's regarded as one of the best second basemen in the history of baseball. And then, of course, he went on to his second career for 25 years. He was the color guy on ESPN's Sunday Night Baseball. In my
9: opinion, might be one of the best Sunday night or uh, yeah Sunday night baseball crews they've had. He he, great analyst, terrific,
2: and uh, you know he had his opinion on stuff, but he always kind of you know put it forward in a nice, soft-spoken way and. uh He'll be missed. It's been a tough year for a lot of reasons. There's a lot of Hall of Famers no longer with us. And as some of the girls' day, golf tournaments are underway. Class A is being held in Norfolk. Class B is in Gearing And in Class C, Columbus is hosting the event. In Class C, Broken Bow is one of the favorites. And head coach Kelly Cooksley thinks they have a shot to be in the mix. We're excited. Um, we've, we we kind of feel like uh, the season and the time we put in. And the, you know, These kids do a lot of stuff in the s- summer with like junior golf. So I really feel like um I, I feel like we're gonna be there, uh on day day two for a chance to do something crazy. You know, they kinda last year we we got fifth
5: and they kinda wanna build on that.
2: A Little windy today, it'll be better tomorrow, but hey, stay golf, this is like playing in the tropics. Mm-hmm. It feels like uh it, this
9: is the kind of weather you usually see. You're right, though. Though a little bit warmer than usual. But if you can survive today, put up a good score, tomorrow you may have a better good shot.
2: If folks would like to see the scores in all three classes, we have those tagged at krvn.com. And that's a look at sports. By the
9: way, before we go, we have to mention uh, your guy, LeBron James, winning another NBA championship. He's still got two more to go, buddy. All right. Well, that's four. <laughs> We've still got time. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> time for Midday News this hour, brought to you by 37 Ag in Holdridge. Our own Ellen Simmons is now joining us. And Ellen, what do we have for us today? Uh, obviously, the wind and the, the nasty dry conditions have been an issue and uh, didn't help things yesterday with a, a, a fire that happened near Lexington.
8: Right. So firefighters from Lexington, Cozad and Overton battled a large hail ba- hay bale fire. On the northern edge of Lexington Sunday evening, Lexington Fire Chief Dallas Holbein says they were paged around 7 p.m. to an area where Shatowsky Hay Company stores and processes hay bales.
6: They had one bale catch on fire, and we're not really sure how or whatever, but they, they had brought a loader in, they kind of got it off to the side, and about that time the wind kicked up really, really bad, and it was it was several several yards away from all the rest of the bales but something must have still been hot by that pile which I, I think contained probably 40 50 bales and then he had taken it the one that he knew was burning on out to a green field and but it uh it swirled around and like i said it was probably 40 50 yards away from the other pile but it uh threw an ember into another pile which i i think probably had 100 bales or better in it
8: Lexington firefighters were also called to the Don and Bar Beatty Farm northeast of Lexington Sunday afternoon. Quick action with a field disc helped contain the fire uh, to about an acre of corn. The cause is suspected from an electrical short to the nearby stock well to the, a pasture. Police say five boys, including a seven-year-old, have been cited on suspicion of burglary after a neighbor Uh, reported seeing the group kicked in the door of a nearby apartment in Lincoln. The Lincoln Journal-Star reports that two 16-year-olds, two 14-year-olds, and the 7-year-old were cited Thursday. Police say one of the 14-year-old boys was sent to the juvenile detention center on an unrelated outstanding warrant. Officer Luke Bonkovich says the uh, 7-year-old was apparently acting as a lookout for the other boys. The apartment's resident reported that $100 from the missing from missing a, excuse me, $100 was missing from a safe in his bedroom closet following the break-in. An inmate has been arrested more than two months after he went missing from the Community Correction Center in Omaha. The Lincoln Journal-Star report said Matthew Saxton was found Friday. The Nebraska Department of Correctional Services said in a news release that authorities had been looking for him since August 1st when he didn't show up to his work-release job. Saxton is serving a four- to seven-year sentence, which he began August 19th, 2019. His convictions include four offense 4th offense DUI and leaving the scene of a property damage accident. The first two weeks of October for the Loop Basin Public Health Department have had surges of 48 and 75 new cases. Assistant Director and Public Health Nurse Amanda Jeffries says they are contact tracing.
7: Out of the cases we've done so far in the month of October, over 50%, about 52% of those have been unable to identify the source of their exposure.
8: Jeffries also explains where most of those cases have been recently.
7: Right now, most of our cases in the last week have been coming out of Custer County. Currently, as of Friday, there was 43 active cases in
8: Custer County. The Loop Basin Public Health Department is reminding their communities to practice good hand hygiene, wearing a mask when in stores or populated areas, and to follow the CDC quarantine guidelines if you have been exposed. Reporting for the Rural Radio Network, I'm Ellen Simmons.
9: Thank you very much, Ellen.
10: It's National Farmers Day, a day that celebrates the farming profession, dating back 12,000 years. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chabela Guzman. Farmers are some of the original scientists, engineers, and inventors. And the National Inventors Hall of Fame will induct Frank Seabock of Columbus, Nebraska into the Hall of Fame this year. He is the inventor of center pivot irrigation. Rini Piva, executive vice president at the National Inventors Hall of Fame, tells us more about Zebak.
11: Frank Zebak was a farmer, but he said by his own admission that he wasn't very good at it. And he had a lot of ideas that came to, or rather he had a lot of ideas that could be applied to to farming more efficiently or trying to come up with ideas that could save time when it came to farming. So one of the thoughts he had when he was watching some other farmers at work once was a more efficient way of irrigating crops.
10: Paiva says what struck them at the organization was the ingenuity of the idea.
11: It was an idea that's kind of the epitome of just the American uh, invention story. It's here was this guy who was a tinkerer, and this invention it was had its own kind of ingenuity. It ended up meeting with great success. It had a big economic impact. His center pivot irrigation system would go on to have just a massive impact on the agricultural industry.
10: A farmer, Zebok had learned blacksmithing and a love of metalworking from his father. So early on, he began developing several inventions designed to lessen the manual labor required of farm workers. The center pivot was not Zebok's first invention. He had a patent application in 1920 for an automatic driverless tractor guide. Paiva says like other inventions, in the beginning, Zebak didn't meet with success right away.
11: There were a lot of people who thought the idea was kind of ridiculous. There were definitely some some things about it that weren't great. Um, At first, it was pretty expensive. And obviously, since it was just uh, an initial invention, it broke down a lot. Sometimes I think it would destroy parts of the field and damage the plants. And of course, one of the things about center pivot irrigation is that it leaves the corners open. Um, And so as time went on, he worked on
10: making improvements. by 1947, Zebok's system featured two sections of pipes on skids suspended by cables from two towers. By 1949, the device included five towers with pipes running on wheels and could irrigate 40 acres. Ziebok went into business with a friend and they licensed the business with another businessman at Valley Manufacturing, now Valmont Industries. You know, with the
11: help of Valley, they were able to put together all sorts of improvements to really overcome some of the obstacles and make it more and more attractive to the farmers in the area. And that's when, you know, it really made such an impact, especially after those years, really in the 1950s, when there was such a lack of water and uh, and there was drought.
10: Zeebock added water valves of siphoning pressurized water from a main pipe to drive the wheels and maintain tower alignment. In 1952, Zebok was granted a patent on a larger irrigation system with a 600-foot boom that could water a 135-acre circle. Paiva says people who see pivots out in the field sometimes can forget how revolutionary the system was for agriculture
11: pivot irrigation really expanded the capabilities of the farmers. So in the past, or rather in the years before, there had been challenges with being able to irrigate the fields. I think a lot of people say that there have been a couple of major, uh, major improvements in modern agriculture. One was when you've probably heard when farming went from horse-drawn vehicles to the tractor and they say that the second was when center pivot irrigation was introduced
10: when Zibock created the center pivot irrigation system he never realized how his inventions crop circles would transform the landscape of the Midwestern and Western United States Paiva says his inventions in the important Pivov explains how his inventions in the importance of them have earned him a place at the National Inventors Hall of Fame for any
11: inventor to get into the National Inventors Hall of Fame, uh, he or she must have a patented invention, so an invention that's covered by a U.S. patent. The reason for that is because the U.S. patent system plays such an important part really in the, the, the economy, driving the economic engine of our country, and a patent when it comes down to it, affords an inventor the rights to manufacture his or her invention. So same thing with Frank Zebach. When that invention eventually got manufactured, and again had such a huge impact on the agricultural industry, especially in those areas like Nebraska, Kansas, like you mentioned, it had, again, a very strong societal impact, economic impact, and cultural impact. And those are the sorts of things that the Hall of Fame looks at when, it, uh, when it's looking at inventors. Zebak died in
10: 1980 at 86 in Columbus, Nebraska. He had 10 U.S. patents. To learn more about the inventors at the National Inventors Hall of Fame, visit www.invent.org. With the Rural Radio Network, I'm Chamela Guzman. Bureau.
3: With a business report, I'm Bob Rogan. Stocks are higher on Wall Street as investors brace for the beginning of quarterly earnings reports from U.S. companies, which get underway this week. A global economic watchdog has unveiled blueprints for new international tax rules for the digital era. The Paris-based Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development said today that its global tax overhaul framework will be presented to the finance ministers of the top 20 economies this week and could be implemented by mid-2021 if a political agreement is reached. Twilio is buying customer data startup Segment in a stock deal valued at about $3.2 billion. As demand for cloud technology surges during the pandemic, both companies are based in San Francisco and Segment will become part of the cloud computing company. The boards of both companies have approved the deal, which is expected to close in the fourth quarter. Americans Paul R. Milgram and Robert B. Wilson have won the Nobel Prize in Economics for improvements to auction theory and inventions of new auction formats. The Nobel Committee says their discoveries have benefited sellers, buyers and taxpayers. The final three months of the year are usually a boom time for many small businesses thanks to holiday shopping and celebrations, but the fourth quarter of 2020 looks precarious as the coronavirus outbreak maintains its grip on the economy. Many restaurants, event planners, and even companies like distillers and corporate gift manufacturers face weaker revenues, although the holiday season is approaching. The average U.S. price of regular-grade gasoline fell half a penny over the past two weeks to just under $2.25 per gallon. Industry analyst Troby Lundberg of the Lundberg survey says prices may change a little in the coming days. As hurricanes pummel the Gulf Coast, impacting oil production. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Bro.
1: See the latest in farm and livestock equipment, real estate shop organization, irrigation, marketing, and an ag college. KRVN The River and Cami traveled the state to bring you these experts in their field. View these informative videos on your phone, iPad, or computer. Just go to krvn.com and follow the link to The Harvest Roadshow. That's where you'll find the videos and an online form to register to win a $450 Zimatic Pivot Gearbox. The Harvest Roadshow, available now on krvn.com looking at the global reach of the Institute
8: of Ag and Natural Resources at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. I'm Alex Wojcicki reporting on the World Radio Network, and today we're joined on the phone by IANR Vice President and Vice Chancellor Mike Bame. Mike, tell us a little bit more about the role that the Institute plays at the global level.
12: Yeah, you bet. So IANR is a global player on a number of fronts. Uh, In fact, I'd say we play play strong in each of our core mission areas of teaching and learning, research and innovation and discovery, and then our outreach and engagement missions. Just to give your listeners a couple of high-level numbers from last year alone, and they're pretty amazing. We had 177 individual faculty engaged around the world in partnering with 123 different countries. We had 475 plus or minus international students from 60 different countries. And we offered uh, 12 education or study abroad programs. It's uh, just really pretty fantastic. I'll rattle off a couple of places where we have uh, what I call a significant presence, you know, greater than um, 5 to 10 individuals. Um, certainly Central and South America, uh, Mexico, Brazil, and Chile would be a, a couple of significant places we have. Um, key partnerships, of course, our neighbors to the north in Canada, sub-Saharan Africa, especially in countries of Rwanda, Ethiopia, Tanzania, and Kenya, India, China, Japan, but also in Vietnam, Australia, New Zealand, South Korea, just to name a few. So, we actually in the Institute of Agri-Natural Resources uh, have a small team. They're very dedicated. They work with faculty, staff, students, and also external partners like the Nebraska Department of Economic Development, to foster relationships with international partners, again, ultimately identifying partners that either amplify or augment what we're doing in the Institute and through those partnerships that allow us to bring extra uh, new value, new perspectives to Nebraska's farmers and ranchers.
8: So keeping all of that in mind, Mike, what are some global opportunities for the students then?
12: We have a goal of ensuring that every single graduate from CASNR graduates with a deep understanding for how interconnected our global food, feed, fuel, and fiber systems are. That global food system is wickedly complex. But our commodity boards and commissions uh, understand this and are pushing the envelope um, on multiple fronts, thinking about global, global markets thinking about international trade and finance. So another open, uh, two other doors for our students are to um, actually connect our students with our um, commodity boards and um, commissions. The Yider Institute for International Trade and Finance, of course, without going into any detail, just is another amazing um, force for looking at the complexities of international trade. Um Kastner also offers a full suite of education abroad programs uh We have twelve last year, for example uh everything from exploring wildlife conservation and to tropical uh ecosystems production systems in Puerto Rico to studying the biodiversity in agricultural production systems in the land down under down in Australia.
8: All right. Thanks so much, Mike. That again is IAN, our Vice President and Vice Chancellor Mike Bame, as we've been talking about the global role of the Institute of Ag and Natural Resources at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their Checkoff, you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Mm-hmm.
4: Clay Patton on the Rural Radio Network. Let's talk with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. And John, what goes up must come down and soybeans definitely lead her to the downside here today. Is this to some longs pulling some profit out of this strong market?
13: Yeah, I think that's it. And I, I think we have delivery on the horizon. You know, I love to talk about that two weeks from now. So, you know, producers have some decisions to make near term as far as what they want to do with supply. And I mean, it's a no-brainer for some people who simply market at this time of the year. So, um, you know, harvest is steaming along. Even though it is raining here today. We, uh, you know, we're 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 going to face some harvest pressure. So, I would say don't don't even focus so much on what the January, the Nov do. I think look at the July, July, May, and March. Those are the three months if you're going to re-own it. You want to look there. In my in my opinion, um, I think that's where the real real uh, I think, more conservative play to own features. I'm not recommending everybody go do that, but if you do. Uh, it's more of a conservative tendency buying the January because I think Jan's heavily elevated right now just based off of the need for South America to produce it quickly. So um, that'll be kind of the interesting dynamic here. Short term, though, I do think prices will weaken up. If they can get a little help from the currency markets, maybe maybe weaken up quite a bit.
4: And then speaking of those currency markets, you've got the Russian ruble trying to put in some technical top sign to it. What do you see? Is there downside potential there in giving some boost to the U.S. dollar?
13: No, I don't. I don't think so. I think you know it. It feels to me, and this is more of the COVID trade that the U.S. has, has turned a corner here. Um, just speaking from a place I live in Illinois, I know, I know it's. It's. We've been under a lot more strict, strict regulations, but I think we're going to be coming off. They're actually dropping some of the testing sites over this way, which kind of tells me they don't. They don't want to have the testing rates as high because they don't want people going in and testing all the time. So, um, but we're going to reopen. I think we do. You know, we're going to have to see the U.S. stand on its own two feet when it comes to, um, you know, the overall markets. Are we going to need government intervention again? How much stimulus and why that matters? If things kind of tend to develop on their own, I think that's more for a stronger dollar trade, which could maybe break the wheat markets a little bit. Um, and if wheat breaks, wheat grain markets soften up, and, and, and then I think you see uh, you know see corn come off. but. Wheat isn't a bad buy on a break. I, I don't think that's given the situation we face next year.
4: And again, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. You can learn more at danielzagmarketing.com. Do remember, though, trading futures and options involves risk of loss and may not be suitable for all investors. And speaking of possibly buying that wheat on the break, we see Chicago wheat actually settle in the green with the December contract, 594 and a quarter, up a half. The July contract, 594 and three quarters, also up a half. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Catch John again as a podcast at ruralradio.com.
9: Thank you very much, Clay. That'll wrap up Midday here on this October 12th. If you miss anything, you can go back and listen to our Midday podcast sponsored by Divinity Motors. That can be found at krvn.com or on iTunes.